Let me first of all say thank you for affording me the opportunity to continue learning and growing and hopefully becoming a better, stronger pastor uh, with you, for you. Uh, and it's been a, a, an exciting ride, a, a, uh, a ride that has not finished yet. And I knew that going into it. Uh, I now have definition to what I'm getting into. I did not know what a doctoral dissertation looked like exactly uh, as far as what it took. I thought it's like climbing a mountain. I can handle that like the Boston Mountains. It's more like Mount Everest is what I'm comparing it to now. And so uh, anyway, thank you for that opportunity. And in this, uh, in this past two months of being away, I've had an opportunity to go to a lot of different places and see a lot of different things and and see a lot of different people, and see God at work in a lot of different ways, and some places that are extremely dark, and it's extremely far from God. And uh, I told people in the month of January, I was either flying or driving somewhere, it seemed like, uh, starting off in Morocco, West Africa. I can remember Daniel uh, Ellis and I sitting down at Pizza Hut in Rabat, uh, Morocco. Uh, not exactly uh, the place I'd expected to find Pizza Hut, but we found it, and we ate it. We could not order anything because we did not speak Arabic, so we just pointed. It was a point-and-click kind of menu. And so that looks good. Take off those funny things, but put everything else on there. And uh, so that was our first encounter, and being able to sit down and talk with our cab driver, who was a devout Muslim, and talk about his faith as best we could. And he was our driver, our translator. And that was a, that was a neat God experience in the midst of an extremely Islamic country to be able to be there and to be a part of of what, what seeing as well as learning as well as hopefully engaging this cab driver for just a little bit. Meeting a man named Futigi from uh, what we call F Village because we can't really give the name of the village because it's in an Islamic country as well. Uh, but in this F Village, Futigi came from 40 kilometers away uh, on his bike to find us because he is a new believer. And as he found us, he began to tell us about his journey and his faith journey and how he became a believer whenever there were some other uh, missionaries, you might say, from South Carolina that were in another village uh, far, far away and, and how they, he heard Christ about Christ's story for the very first time there and how he became a believer. And he says, how can I take this back to my village? And so what they gave him was an MP3 player with 60 Bible stories on it that he could take back and listen to solar panel uh, with it so he could charge it and listen to it in the village. And, and he came now to K Village where we were at and he began to tell us the story that unfolded about how Fatigi went back and, he, and how there was now 56 people. And he had the names of them. He showed me the names of them in this little crude-looking notebook. And he showed me the names of 56 people who said, I want to follow Jesus. But nobody is there to tell them. And that was his next question. So when are you coming? So who is coming? And I, I tell you, with a sadness deep in my heart, I began to think, here we are, a room full, and we'll have another room full after you all leave. And there will be churches all around northwest Arkansas, and the, the story of Jesus will be told again and again and again, and we'll let it run in one ear and out the other. And yet there are villages in West Africa that are longing to hear. There's something not right about that. There's something not right that we would have the corner on the gospel and the truth, but yet... Somehow it would not stir us beyond that. So I had to tell Futiki we can't come. 
We can't come right now, but maybe someday we will be able to come, or maybe somebody else will be able to come. You pray with us in your new faith. So it was awesome to be able to see in West Africa, Morocco and Mali, God at work. It was also interesting to see God at work in West Hollywood. West Hollywood is a very unique culture that I encountered for the first time. There in West Hollywood, if you know much about the area, it is of the alternative lifestyle. And so I was about one, I was about a, the, in this areas that we went and the places that we engaged into these alternative bars and talking with people and just getting to know people. Uh, I was, and a few others were just one among many that were, well, excuse me, there was about nine out of ten of us, nine and ten who were of the alternative lifestyle versus a couple of us that were not. And it was interesting to engage these people. And, and one, one, one person in particular that i got to tell you about is this lady who, who I'd never had met before, but through another relationship got to know and got to meet and got to sit down with at dinner and talk with over lifestyle. But it was not the focus, was not the lifestyle. The focus was God and her own loneliness and emptiness and brokenness. And it was so amazing to see how God in this, what I would deem as a dark place, was God was at work there. God was not absent from that place. Read Psalms. Where can you go from His Spirit? You can't go anywhere. You go to the depths of darkness, He's there. You go to the height of brightness and light and glory, He is there. You cannot go from His Spirit. And so I think I come back to you today being able to have at least this benefit of pulling my head out of the forest of Grace Point Church, out of the woods of Grace Point Church, and being able to see God's greater work in, in, in a West Africa or a West Hollywood. It's how His kingdom is at work. His spirit is at work. He is doing a great thing all around the world, whether you're in progression and, and prosperity or poverty and simplicity. God is at work in all of these places. No matter how dark or how bright or how, how rich or how poor. And so I just, I'm excited about that and I come back with that, that, that zeal. And then I think about, about the Bible and it's like, well, you big dummy, what, what, what did you think I was about? I mean, Jesus said when he was teaching us how to pray, he said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he tells us to pray that. We need to pray that God's kingdom would come. He tells us that we should seek his kingdom above food, clothing, jobs, or anything else. As he tells us in Matthew 6.33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, we get so much seeking the, the tail end of that, jobs, family, and food, that somehow we leave off the kingdom and righteousness. And I tell you, for me in my own life, I've understood righteousness better than I've understood God's kingdom. God's got a kingdom. He's got a movement. He's got a kingdom without borders. He's got a kingdom without limits. So we're to pray for it. We're to seek it. He also tells us that he gives us the keys to the kingdom. He tells us in Matthew 6, 13, he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. See, God's about a kingdom work. It's way beyond Grace Point Church. And I tell you what, if there's anything I want to be a part of, it's a part of God's kingdom, not building Grace Point Church kingdom. I want to be a part of what God's doing on a global scale. I want to do a, be a part of what God's doing in an amazing way. But you know what? It's not going to be easy. There's a warning that needs to be attached to this. 
It isn't going to be a cakewalk. For two months now, I've been thinking about this series of messages. I've been praying it through. And actually, the message that I'm sharing with you today is not the message that I intended to share with you, but it was just came to me. It's like, I can't go into the other messages until we first lay some foundations here on what we're about. And we're not about our own world. We're not about our own jobs. We're not about our own families. We're not about just praying for down comforts from heaven. We're about God's kingdom. And I need to get in on what God's kingdom is about if I'm going to get in on what God's about. Because God can blow right past me. He can go right past my family. He can go right past this church and never stop in for a visit. And we can easily keep going on and never miss it. I want you to think about that. Literally, we could have church. You could have your Christian family. And we could completely miss God. Let us beware that we must be about the Father's work, the same thing that got Jesus in trouble with his parents because he couldn't not be about the Father's business. And his kingdom is amazing. Now, when God was calling his disciples together, those, those early followers, those people that were right underneath him, he immediately began to call them. And Andrew and Simon were the first ones to call. And he, he says, come and see. See, Jesus has a progression in his calling, and it's pretty easy to come and see. I could say, let's go and see a movie. What would that cost you? Maybe a movie ticket? That's about it. Some time, maybe? That's about it. But you'd be benefiting. You'd be seeing a a, a great theatrical presentation, maybe. Maybe not. But, you know, come and see. There's not a whole lot of commitment level at that level. And there was a lot of things for Jesus to see. I mean, you think about it. I mean, the guy who walks on water, a guy who brings dead people back to life, that's better than anything Hollywood can put out. I mean, we can't replicate that today. He can make a blind man see by spitting and making mud pies. I mean, that's the kind of Jesus that he was. And so come and see is pretty easy. We say to Northwest Arkansas, come and see, come and see, come and be a part of Grace Point Church. Come, 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 everybody come. That's an invitation that we give. That's an invitation that Jesus gives. But Jesus takes it to another, another level at times. There are other times that he actually calls them out to come and follow me. He takes it to a new level. He says in Matthew 19:21, he says, "Come, not just come and see. I want you to come and follow me." When the disciples were mending their nets on the side of the shore on the Sea of Galilee, he didn't say, "Hey, just come, come and come with me, and let's go do some miracles, some cool stuff." He says, "Come and follow me, and I will do something in your life. I'll make you fishers of men." So he'll call, he'll call us at times to come and see. He'll call us at times to come and follow him. Now, at that level, I would dare say that everybody in this room is willing and ready to sign up. Give me the card. I'll sign up. Give me the, the covenant, membership covenant. I'm in. I'm in the club. I want to be a card-carrying follower, come and seer of Jesus. I'll see a miracle of Jesus any day. I want to see life change any day. I want to see life better improved any day. Who wouldn't want that? But Jesus doesn't stop there. There are other times when Jesus calls his disciples further on, and it's almost a progressive kind of thing, when he says, not only want you to just come and see and come and follow, he says, I want you to come and die. I want you to come and die. In the passage that we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 9, and you can be finding that in your passage in your Bibles today, but in Luke 9, he actually calls us to come and actually die. 
This is a whole new level, a whole new uh, intensity, if you, if you will, that he's calling us to. But he doesn't even stop there. There's other times in John chapter 6 when, when Jesus actually says, I want you to not only come and die, he says, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. So that's, I mean, he, he didn't turn into a Jeffrey Dahmer here on us for a second. He didn't just kind of becomes this kind of sick kind of individual, but you can see in each one of these invitations that he gives his followers that each level there is greater and greater intensity, greater and greater commitment. And there's a lot of people who will do the bottom two, but very few people who want to take it to the next level. What was Jesus saying when he said, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood? He was talking about how he's about to suffer. His blood's about to be spent, spilled. His flesh is about to suffer persecution. Are you willing to follow Jesus to that level? And again, we said in our air-conditioned, climate-controlled building today, we have our padded seats and we don't know what it's like to be meeting from house to house and be running from the police. Read the heavenly man. It's a great book that will tell you the story of what's going on in China right now and other parts of the world about how people are literally having to give their lives for their faith. We don't know that in America. We live in peace and prosperity and freedoms and we declare and to fight for those. But Jesus is calling us to a much higher level of commitment. He is raising the bar for us. Now, when you think about Jesus' calling on our lives We're going to be taking the next five weeks and we're going to be unpacking this message today over the next five weeks because I can't today tell you that I am living the come and die lifestyle all the time. I certainly can't tell you that I'm living the eat my my flesh and drink my blood lifestyle. So how do I go from where I am to come and see and to come and follow to the come and die and the come and eat? That's going to take some work. That's going to take some commitment on my part, some dedication on my part, some growing on my part. And so for the next five weeks after this week, we're going to be unpacking what that looks. Right up to Easter, we're going to be unpacking what that looks to daily live to a new level of commitment like we've never lived before. See, when Jesus calls us many things in the Bible, we're called many things. Jesus and other writers, he calls us many things. He calls us sheep, ambassadors, shepherds, athletes. Teacher, soldier, family, bride, friend, brother, minister, farmer, priest, elect, body, servant, slave, redeemed, and worker. He calls us all those things. We're all those things in the Bible. If you're a follower of Christ, those things mark who you are. And again, we could take each one of those word by word by word and unravel them and, un- and peel them back and understand the nuances. But I don't want to do that. That's a whole year's worth of messages. There were a few things, though, that Jesus kind of zeroed in on and said, this is what I want you to understand when I understand you, when I, when I think of you. There's a couple of times he calls us a few things more. He, we're called believer two times in the Bible. So believer is obviously something that Jesus wants to, to underscore. We're also called Christian three times in the Bible. Christian means little Christ, and so we can identify with that. We call ourselves Christians. We have Christian churches, and we have the Christian, Christendom, and we have so many things that, that make that up. But what does that really look like? And is that really the priority of, of what Jesus wants us to be known as, as Christians? The word that Jesus used, and is used most of the time throughout Scripture, is not Christian believer or any of these others. It's the word disciple. 
It's used 269 different times to refer to those who are following Christ. So if we're going to zero in on a word, let's zero in on a word that is used so many times it's almost underscored. I'm afraid, though, in our culture, as soon as I even say the word disciple, I'm afraid that I have to kind of please ask you erase your hard drive. Because our concept of what a disciple is may not be exactly what a disciple is from the New Testament. And again, that's why we're coming back to the essentials in our whole faith because I'm afraid we need to do some rebooting of our, of our, of our hard drive, of our lives, and what it really means to be a follower of Christ. And so as you, as you think about what it means to be a disciple, we have made it into this mini-seminary student where you go to this Bible course and you're part of this Bible study and you got this degree and, if you're, and you learn this and you got this many Bible verses learned. And all of this makes up what a disciple is. I've been in Sunday school. I've taught Sunday school. I've been in body life group. I've taught body life group. I've done all these things and that makes me a disciple. That is actually dumbing down what a disciple is. We've made them mini-seminarians. Being a disciple is so much more than that. Being a disciple is a, is a life-transforming event. Notice what it says in John eight thirty one. It says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Now, again, I have for many years taken that if I continue to study this book, if I continue to know it from cover to cover and memorize it all the time, that's what it means to continue in his word. And obviously I need to do that, but that's not the end. The idea here of continue in my word, it means that you've, you've read it, you've studied it, and you are literally now walking in it. It is the, the foundation on which your life moves and, and breathes and thinks and, and processes. This book is what you're continuing in. The truth of this word is what you're continuing in. It's not that you're in Bible study over here and then you go off and live your life. It's, or am I, when I'm moving about through life, am I continuing in this truth? Then we will know that you're His disciple. Another verse, and there, there, there are several, but here's another one. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for one another. Let me say this to you, and I want you to think about, before I say this, the relationship that you have with somebody, be it spouse, parent, sibling, long-time friend, gone bad. But I want you to think about that relationship that isn't exactly what it should be. And let me ask you this question on top of that now. How is your relationship with Jesus affecting your response and your attitude in that relationship. The worst relationship you have, the most soured relationship you have, how is that relationship with Christ penetrating through that darkness? Is it one of forgiveness? Is it one of love and acceptance? Because everyone will recognize my disciples by their love. It will literally impact your relationships. Where is your relationship? And how is Christ seen in that? Here's my definition for discipleship. It will be the foundation on the entire series. Jot it down. It's in your notes. It's learning that affects your living. Learning that affects 
you're living. If you're learning, if your discipleship, if your Bible study, if you're coming to Grace Point Church isn't affecting your living, you're not a disciple of Christ. If it isn't affecting your relationships, you're not a disciple of Christ. If it isn't affecting your attitude, you're not a disciple of Christ. You may be a follower, you may be a come and see her, but you're not a disciple. And that goes for me too. I'm not exempt. So how is it affecting my relationship? How is it affecting my walk? How is it affecting my attitude? In Luke chapter 9, we'll look there now. Luke 9, verse 23, it says this. He, being Jesus, and he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man who profit if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes into glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, I only have time to even unpack this entire passage. There are eschatological points of view. There are different things that go into this passage, and we're not even going to go there. The one thing that you'll learn about this series of messages that we're in is we are melting a lot of the fat off the bone, and we're coming back to the essentials. We're coming back to the bare-bone basics of what does it mean, because we add on a lot of stuff. We add on a lot of our own traditions. We add on a lot of our own presuppositions. We add on a lot of baggage that ends up hindering us and hindering others from what it really means to, to follow Christ, to be a disciple of His. And so I want to bring you back to the three statements that Jesus makes right here in this passage. And you see them there. You unpack them. You wrestle with them yourself in your own life. And so I want us to read verse 23. I want you to read it with me. Let's read it out loud together, guys. If you can put it back on the screen. Read verse 23 out loud with me, beginning at uh, when Jesus begins to speak. He says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Three statements that Jesus gave. I want to give you three words that I think are the bare-bones essentials to what it means to really, really, truly be a disciple of Christ. It's the beginning. It's not the end. It's only going to unlock it for us so that we can begin to get on the very bare-bone essentials of following Christ. Number one word, you've got to get it down, is abandonment. There needs to be an abandonment of my life. He says, deny yourself. Now, we live where we are encouraged to be self-aware. Self-actualization, I think, takes it to a different level, but I don't see anything wrong with being self-aware. I need to know my limitations. I need to know my past and how it's affected my present. I need to have dreams about my future. Self-awareness is a valuable thing. But the problem with self-awareness that doesn't have guardrails, listen, the problem with self-awareness without any guardrails will lead to self-absorption where I just become absorbed, infatuated with myself. I, I read my own press clippings and believe them. I, I, I like to think higher of myself than, 
than, than other people think of me. I, I like to give myself the benefit of the doubt instead of really calling my motives sometimes into question. There needs to be self-awareness that doesn't lead to self-absorption, but actually will lead to self-abandonment or self-denial. Now, again, this right here, I'll tell you right now, in the whole beginning of the series, I knew going into this that there's going to be a whole lot of people going to get off the bus right in here. Because this is totally foreign to their concept of Christianity, their concept of following Christ. The come and see concept, the come and follow concept, I'm with you there, Mike. But now you're talking about a new level. You're talking about a bar I've never been at. And I understand, I struggled to get to this bar every single day of my life. But it starts with an abandonment of myself. Look at verse 24, right underneath this verse, he, he tells us, he says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. What is that? What are you talking about, Jesus? Whoever wishes to save his life will lose his life? But whoever loses his life for my sake will be the one who will save it. Again, Jesus is creating an entirely new paradigm for us here. So be a learner. Be a learner with me. And let's, let's just get, dive into this and understand what this abandonment is. This self-denial is. And I really don't even have time to talk about what it's not, but I'll tell it to you like this. I think it's what, when we have to move off the center stage of our life. Where, where life is no longer about us. You know, we're the star of our own stories. We're the heroes of our own narratives. You know, I wake up in the morning and the first person I see is myself. You know, when I'm, when I'm doing my hygiene thing, you know who the first person I'm thinking of is myself. You know, when I'm getting dressed and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to wear today? What kind of mood am I in today? What kind of whatever? Who am I going to meet today? All that kind of, I'm thinking about myself. You know, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat that day, I'm thinking about how many calories are in that one and how long is it going to take for me on the treadmill to get that out of my body. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, when, 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 I'm, thinking about, when I'm thinking about who I'm interacting with, I'm thinking, what's their impression of me? See, I'm the star of my own story. I'm the hero of my own narrative. And the problem is, is that I don't need to be that. Because even though I think that the world begins and ends with me, and my world might begin and end with me, but the world doesn't begin and end with me. The kingdom of God doesn't begin and end with me. And it's something about following Christ that there's going to be a major shift of perspective. It's not about numero uno. It's not about me, myself, and I. We are naturally narcissistic. We are naturally hedonistic. We are naturally in, this, in, in, in ourselves, uh, focused on ourselves. And what Jesus says here is you cannot follow me. You cannot be my disciple and be focused on yourself. Who's the hero of your own story? Am I willing to take myself off center stage? Here's the question. Am I willing to take myself off center stage and become the shadow? of the true star, of the true story, of the true narrative? Am I willing to be the shadow, in the shadow, of the one who is the true narrative story writer? Wrestle with it. Work it through in your heart and your mind. Now I'm not much of a thespian. I said thespian, Okay. The only thing, I, every time I ever got close to 
to um, to acting was whenever I was a kid, and I think I've told you this story before. Um, but it was whenever there was a Christmas play in a little country church that I was actually gave my life to Christ in, and and um, I can remember the bed sheet being ripped in the middle, and my head being—I was an angel, and uh, so. The bed sheet going over me, and I can remember the wire hanger that we made, and then we took this silver tinsel and wrapped it so that we could have our little halo uh, on, on little little Michael's head, and and he was going to be an angel in the Christmas play, and uh, I'm sure I was a beautiful little angel, um, but I also remember there were two beautiful little girls on the front row. And uh, they were a couple of years older than me. I mean, I was going for older women at that time, I guess. And uh, and so I'm looking at them, and I'm supposed to be, the, the director said, look at the hard plastic Jesus and just focus on the hard plastic Jesus in, in, the, in the little farmer's bells of hay there. And so I'm supposed to look down, but I'm seeing these two girls right over there. And so I start making these little goo-goo eyes and, and doing that thing, and they're looking at me, and they're giggling. And so suddenly I become more interested in two girls than the hard plastic Jesus, and, and I'm no longer the little angel focusing on Jesus. And I now become, because they're laughing at me, and they're encouraging me in, in this, and so I'm trying to egg it on and, and trying to keep it going to keep their attention. What happened is in that story... Jesus was no longer the narrative. was no longer the focus. I wanted to be the focus. And I was the focus for those two girls. And I was the focus in my own life. Well, let me tell you that we're not talking about a hard plastic Jesus. We're talking about an intimate Savior who wants to be intimately involved in your life. But He can't be if you're the star of the show. There is an absolutely, absolutely self-abandonment to where now I'm making decisions through the filter of the star of my story, Jesus Christ. And so when I make a decision, and I hate the fact that WWJD became so commercialized, it's lost its real truth and meaning because it is a great principle to ask yourself the question, not what would me, myself, and I want, but what would Jesus want in this situation? How would Jesus want me to handle my attitude? How would Jesus want me to be in this relationship? How would Jesus want me to... What, what again, self-abandonment and focusing on Christ. Not the hard plastic one, but the real one. Erwin McManus said in his book, The Barbarian Way, he said, we are called to join the barbarian tribe and embrace our call as mystical warriors. There's a level of insanity that comes from the barbarian way. To what degree are you insane about Christ? To what degree are you a barbarian for Christ? And if you are, you will be a radically different individual. And it only comes whenever you're willing to abandon yourself. Deny yourself. The second thing he said is to take up your cross daily. This is that alignment process is the word here that I want to focus on is where we're now aligning ourselves with 
with Christ. We're now identifying with Him. And this is that come and die challenge where, okay, it's now no longer about me. I'm not the center stage. I'm not the star of my own story, the hero of my own narrative. It's now Jesus is the star of my show. And how am I going to maintain that outside of a daily awareness and a daily commitment to dying? Dying. Dying. Luke chapter 14, verse 27, again, emphasizes the connection between a disciple and those who follow him and those who, who, what they're to do. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Don't, don't, don't say I'm limiting it. Say the fact that Jesus Christ is putting a bar at a level that we're going to have to rise up to. If we're really going to get to the bare bones, let's quit playing westernized Christianity. Let's start playing the real stuff. Carrying a cross? Doing, what, what's that all about? Now here, here Galatians 2.20 gives a little bit better light on it. He says, I have been crucified. This is Paul saying this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, and I'm still here in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave Himself for me. I'm no longer living. It's no longer about me. I'm no longer the star of my story, the hero of my own narrative. It's not a lot. I'm, I'm denying myself. But not only that, is I'm getting up and daily, 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 underscore that in your Bible, daily I am carrying a cross. I'm identifying with Him on a whole new level. I'm, I'm aligning my life with Him. Now, I'll tell you, one of the most sexy things you can buy your wife for um, Valentine's Day is a four sets of tires, or four tires. Not really. But a few uh, years ago, I bought a pair of tires. It wasn't for Valentine's Day, but I bought four tires for our van. And I can remember when I bought those four tires, I was so upset. I don't remember how much I paid, $500. I don't know. It was a lot. By the time you get them, you get rid of the old ones, and you balance and align and do all that kind of stuff. But you spend a lot of money on those things. You want to take those babies in the house with you when you get home the first night. You want to give them a place at the table, a guest of honor, I don't know. We'll stack them up there. I mean, you want your kids to run up to you and say, Oh, thank you, Daddy, for protecting us on the open highway. You want to take everybody out and all the neighbors, Hey, look up and tread on my tires. I mean, you spend all that money on them and all you're going to do is nothing. I mean, I can remember I was kind of upset because when I got there and I said, I thought these things had... You know, this old pair coming off. I thought these things had a longer lifespan, a longer, a better warranty. And, you know, what's, what's the deal? He says, well, when you got these on, did, did you get your tires aligned? Well, I said, no, I hadn't hit anything. I didn't think there was anything wrong with that, so I didn't. He says, well, now, every time you rotated your tires, did you balance them? If they balanced them, they balanced them. I didn't tell them to. He said, well, that's your problem, idiot. Um, is... When you get a new set of tires, you need to immediately go get them aligned. New set of tires, everything, you just need to get them aligned. You need a little bump along the road, you hit the pothole, you go get and get them aligned. And every time you rotate your tires, and did you do that regularly like you were supposed to? Well, yes, I'm sure I did. And uh, so did you get them balanced? Well, I don't know that I did or, or, or what. And he says, that will make your ride a lot smoother and a lot longer. 
And you know, when you think about the Christian faith in life, I'm not saying that when you follow Christ, it's going to be a nice, long, easy trip. But I am saying this, that there are certain things that we need to do in our life every single day, aligning ourselves, balancing ourselves, that we make sure that we stay into a beautiful, organic relationship with Christ. And it's a daily dying process. Now let me say this to you. I said a, a daily organic relationship. We have confused in the faith mechanical relationship with organic relationship. I have my quiet time. I tithe. I do this. I have my tick of things. Everything I do. I do, 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 I do. And because I do, I do, I do, I must be, I must be, I must be. We have made it a mechanical relationship rather than an organic relationship that breathes and changes and ebbs and flows and is dynamic and is challenging. And that's how that happens in a daily dying Getting Mike off the center stage. Denying self. Dying daily. Identifying with Christ. Aligning my life up with Him. There's a great book if you want to pick it up and read. It's kind of heavy reading, but The Spirit of Disciplines by Dallas Willard. And he lists in there several disciplines. And we're going to basically, in the next five weeks, there's no way we can in any way cover all of them. So I've kind of merged a lot of these into them into the, uh, the messages, so we'll hit several at one time. But he lists out a number of disciplines, some abstinence kind of disciplines. And here's the disciplines of abstinence, solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, sacrifice. There are times that God tells us we need to abstain from certain things. And sometimes we go, oh, yeah, I know. I need to abstain from, from, from lusting. It's, uh, uh, abstain from this. And it, sometimes it's not. Again, that's the mechanical side. That's the tactical side. But there are other deeper, really root elements, essentials to the faith that really that we need to abstain from. And we're going to be talking about these next week. But it's not just not doing certain things. There's certain things that we should do. And he, he has those disciplines of engagement like study and worship and celebration and service and prayer and fellowship and confession and submission. And I'll tell you this, the church in the 20th century was really, really good at emphasizing the disciplines of engagement. But we missed, I think in many respects, the disciplines of abstinence. And we're going to begin to look at these and how the Scripture calls us every day, every day, every day, every day, every moment of every day to a realignment. How are your tires? How's your ride? Romans chapter 6, verse 4 and 6 say it like this. So we too might walk in newness of life. That's that realignment process. Our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Oh, my lens, how many times have I talked to people? I'm struggling in this area of my life. I struggle in areas of my life. Oh, my lens, you knew the list of my thoughts and my attitudes and the things I struggle with. And what it has to be is I don't need to be a slave to any single one of them. 
Think about it. Abandonment can happen in an instant. You need to do it and do it now. But this whole realignment ha- is going to happen over the course of, uh, of every day of your life. Here, let's move on really quickly. There needs to be an allegiance. Not only is there an abandonment, there's also an allegiance. This is to follow me. He says, anyone who really wants to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, I want you to notice this before, and I really am past my time, but I want you to know this. Notice that Jesus put, follow me at the back side of this and not the front side of this. Who wouldn't want to follow Jesus? Who wouldn't want to see the miracles of Jesus? Who wouldn't want to taste what Jesus gave? I mean, everything, he, was, he was feeding people for free all the time. Who wouldn't want to? But now let's only really put in front of that what it really means. It means denying yourself. It means taking up your cross daily. Then it means following Him. And I think until we can get ourselves off center stage, I think until we can daily get into the practice and the discipline of realigning our lives, okay, today, okay, in this time, okay, in this place, okay, in this moment, I'm going to follow you, Christ. Until we can get into that habit and that discipline in our life, I think we're going to miss it. Here's a life principle for you. If you're leading, you are not following. And if you are following, you are not leading. Now the question is, who's calling the shots in your life? Jesus wants you to follow Him. If you're following Him, you're not leading Jesus. The problem is that so many of us for so much of our life have said, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus, but Jesus, would you bless what I'm doing over here? Think about it. Think about it. God, would you bless this? God, would you honor my job? Would you honor this thought? You know what? God, what are you doing? And let me get in on what you're doing. That's what it means to follow Him. Mother Teresa, whether you liked her theology or agreed or whatever, I don't, I don't know. But Mother Teresa is an amazing person. When, uh, upon her death, she was the most admired woman on the face of the earth. That's pretty impressive. Above first ladies, above, above princesses, uh, above everybody. Above Princess Di, uh, every, she was the most admired person on the planet, woman on the planet. The thing about her story is too, too lengthy for me to go into, but my question to you is when do we move from admiration to emulation? When do we go, oh, Mother Teresa and what she did in Calcutta and what she did for the, the orphans uh, in this world and how she inspired so many people and how she could speak to kings and queens and, and, and really shape our world and get us to become more conscious about social justice and so forth. When, when, do we, when do we move past that admiration to emulation? When are we going to say, okay, you know, I admire Paul, and I admire this person, I admire that person. When are we going to say, okay, now what's it take to get there with my own life? It won't happen until there's an abandonment and a realignment. It won't happen until there's, a, there's, there's an allegiance to follow somebody bigger, greater than you are. At the end of, uh, of Mother Teresa's life, maybe this will be, give you a beginning point. A letter, a prayer that she pray, she asked Reverend Van Deer Pete in 1979. This was an uncovered in her stuff. 
prayer that she had written to this, to this reverend and asked him to pray for her. And this was the prayer. I want you to pray for me that I let him have a free hand. And even if he chooses to cut me up in pieces, this is speaking of the Lord here, cut me up in pieces that every single piece, however small, will be only his. Every single piece of me, if I'm cut up, sliced up, every single piece of me will be his. See, abandonment, alignment, and allegiance is the call of a disciple. Now, here's a question. I'm finished. Is there any piece of you, is there any piece of me that is not abandoned to Him, that is not aligned with Him, that I cannot say He has my full allegiance in every piece of my life? Father God, this is a bar that is way higher than I think most people have even tried to jump. This is a bar you're calling us to. Father, I would pray that you would rescue us from ourselves. I would pray that, Lord, you would help us to become what you really want us to be and not what we want to be in our own stories, in our own narrative. Lord, rescue us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.